War in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. You are listening, folks, to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. It's Friday. It is October 28th, folks. Tick, tick, tick. Let's look at the calendar now. Happy Friday, one and all. The weather should uh, be pleasant today and this weekend. Monday is Halloween. Oh, Tuesday is November 1st, one week from the November 8th election. Early voting continues. And last week of the final week of the debates, I think Thursday, I believe Thursday is the final debates until leading up to the election of November 8th. So now a couple things. So this weekend is a big weekend. Should be good weather. All the candidates out canvassing as much as possible, seeing as many voters, going to in front of as many people as possible. Um, let's look at CD2. Alan Fung, former Christian Mayor Alan Fung, is a very good position right now. That was a bogus poll put out. That was a bogus poll put out. Uh, that is not a dead even race. Fung is ahead, maybe not by a lot, but outside the margin of error, he is in the lead. He needs to finish strong. They need to get out the vote. They need strong mail ballots. They can't get beat at the mail ballots. It's ridiculous they even have to deal with that. If this were just day of election, Fung wins. So he's in a very good position. He holds the lead. He needs to hold it, and they need to hold off the unions trying to steal the election for Seth Magaziner. So... Mayor Fung is in a very good position. Ashley Kalis challenging Governor McKee. I had said in the beginning of the week this was an important week for her because the story of the week for the McKee camp is that the first lady came in, Jill Biden. Kalis had her rally, Democrats for Kalis, on Tuesday night. Other than that, very quiet. Maybe have a big weekend. And then next week, I believe she has two scheduled debates with Governor McKee. We'll see if both happen. If they do the radio debate, it's on Halloween. It kind of gets washed out. Not a lot of people pay attention to it because of Halloween and the time of, of day that it's on. It's not going to be on at night. Uh, I believe it's in the afternoon. That would mark debate number three. They have a television debate scheduled for next Thursday. We'll see if it happens. But as of right now, have to be objective. Unless something changes, Governor McKee is going to win that race. I don't say that with any glee, but last night was, you know, there have been several examples, several examples. And as I've stated, I like Ashley. I think she has uh, run a very credible campaign, has earned the right to be a formidable challenger to Governor McKee. But... Now, again, I, I think they also have a very good mail ballot operation. So it could be closer. It could be closer. I don't know if either one of them are going to get over 50%. I don't. But she needs, I believe, my opinion, something needs to happen for the Kalis campaign to really close the gap. Uh, it's possible. It's possible. This story that Channel 12 aired last night, which I love, I think it's the Rhode Island story of the year. Does this help Governor McKee? No, it does not help Governor McKee. This is actually bad for Governor McKee. But the Kalis people put out a statement, not to be critical, but they did not capitalize on it. I don't know if they understand they need to like be cranking stuff out. And you can't do it at the end because you don't know what's going to happen next week. You can't save things to the end. Folks, the the scores that have come out with the Rhode Island SAT scores drop, I mean, it's, it's so brutal this is why Governor McKee is hiding the uh, RICAS scores that were supposed to come out in October. They're waiting till after the election. You know, I was reading Channel 12 story has a story that the numbers for these school scores in Central Falls were so low, they didn't release them. The lowest performing traditional school districts, Central Falls, Pawtucket, Woonsocket, East Providence, Providence, all of which saw slightly worse scores this year compared to last year. Again, it remains Central Falls, Pawtucket, Woonsocket, East Providence, Providence. All of that is in CD1. In Central Falls, the math scores were so low, 
that they weren't shared. They suppressed the data for confidentiality reasons if fewer than 5% of students meet expectations on the test. High-end, it's the usuals, Barrington, East Greenwich, North Kingstown, South Kingstown, and Portsmouth. Providence, the state's largest school district, under control Rhode Island Department of Education, kept math scores flat, 13% proficiency. Just so we're all clear, what does that mean? Only 13% of the students can do math at grade level. Eight out of ten, but eight out of Providence's 10 high schools had scores too low to report. Somewhere between 95% and 100% of 11th graders are not proficient in math. I don't think people understand that. Somewhere between 95% to 100% of 11th graders in Providence can't do math at 11th grade level. They're either doing it at a 10th grade level or below. Classical, the district's top high school, requires an exam to be admitted, had 55% of students scored proficient in math. That's still not great. The only other school that exceeded it was Times 2 Academy, 6%. Wow. Language arts dropped by one percentage point in Providence. Classical scored high at 82% proficiency, 82% proficiency on the English exam, down from 88%. But it's just, it's so bad. I mean, it is just so brutal. But again... You know, it, and it, it's not going to, I'd like this, State Education Commissioner Angelica Infante Green declined an interview Thursday. I mean, it. I, I'll, I'll play some of this. I mean, they do, Channel 12, I want to give them credit. Rhode Island, SA, the Rhode Island SAT and PSAT scores dipped further this year. I mean, it is just, it's not going to get better under Governor McKee. But folks, the story that everyone is buzzing about, and again, I want to give credit to Channel 12, is this uh, Rhode Island State House story. The corruption is undeniable. It's at the highest levels. I do want to point out, you know, there's some different twists and turns. We're going to talk about this coming up a little bit later. But um, Rhode Island House Speaker aide to Mob Associate. This was going on when Maddie Yellow was the speaker. But there's so many different dynamics of this. Let me, uh, Troubling Ties was the name of it. A meeting at the Rhode Island State House between silent business associates in an illegal marijuana operation. A top staffer to the House Speaker had a hidden stake in a cannabis business, and so did a known mob associate. I can't think of anything more brazen. A months-long Target 12 investigation reveals a shocking relationship that links the State House to the underworld. And breaking within the last few hours, that top State House staffer has now resigned. Target 12 investigator Tim White is here now with the exclusive details. Nice job, Tim. And I mean that in a good way. Target 12 reviewed thousands of pages of evidence obtained through a public records request. They include emails, text messages, and video, all part of a state police investigation into a mob associate, a cannabis company, and eventually the House Speaker's senior deputy chief of staff. On a brisk morning in late December 2020, State House security cameras captured a dark SUV pulling into a parking lot reserved only for top state leaders and their staff. Moments later, a figure in a hooded sweatshirt emerges. State police detectives later identified the man as Raymond Scarface Jenkins, a longtime associate of the New England crime family. Minutes later, the employee entrance doors to the State House swing open, and John Conti, the top staffer to the House Speaker, walks out and emerges. Braces Jenkins. The pair talk for more than 20 minutes in what detectives described as an animated conversation. Eventually, Jenkins and Conti embrace again. Jenkins pulls away, and Conti returns to his they day talk job. with their hands. Conti has been Conti. a longtime aide to Rhode Island's most powerful lawmakers. Hired in 2006, he has risen through the ranks. 
John Conti, who runs operations here. Conti is currently making $136,000 a year as the senior deputy chief of staff to House Speaker Joseph Shikarchi. He does it so impeccably, such a hardworking guy. Jenkins has a long criminal history, drug and weapons charges, illegal gambling, and a federal extortion conviction and a major crackdown into organized crime 10 years ago that resulted in a three-year prison sentence. Allegedly. back door to the upper lot. You got it. This is where all the lawmakers come and go. Where he shouldn't be. 12 News law enforcement analyst and former state police colonel Stephen O'Donnell spent years investigating organized crime and is familiar with Jenkins. He's what we'd call a mob associate. He's connected. He's a well-connected guy in that world. Target 12 reviewed thousands of pages of evidence from a multi-year investigation by the state police and Department of Business Regulation. It reveals Conti and Jenkins were silent interest holders in Organic Bees, a marijuana grow operation in Pawtucket that started in 2017. The business was ultimately shut down earlier this year, primarily because Conti and Jenkins failed to disclose to state regulators that they were key players. All this while Conti had a ringside seat for internal debates over state marijuana policy. I can't think of a, sort of a, a worse situation you could potentially find a staff member in um, as uh, you're negotiating the future of the marijuana industry in the state of Rhode Island. John Marion of Good Government Group Common Cause Rhode Island says there is a reason the law requires principals in marijuana operations to disclose their interest. One of the key tools to making sure that the, the black market and the, the above ground market, so to speak, uh, aren't intertwined is disclosure. A spokesperson for the speaker said in a statement, Speaker Shikarchi has absolutely no knowledge of the business entity known as Organic Bees or any of the other allegations. State police say Conti and Jenkins go way back. In text messages obtained from a state police search warrant, Jenkins tells an investor in the marijuana operation that Conti is my oldest and most trustworthy friend. And it wasn't just Jenkins. In a state police affidavit, Detective Matthew Lynch writes, Conti was surveilled by the state police at events hosted and attended by high-ranking members and associates of the New England La Cosa Nostra, including a Christmas party at a Federal Hill restaurant attended by members of the mafia's top echelons, among them mob capo Matthew Gugliametti and Eddie Lato, seen here in Target 12 video. In the affidavits, the state police intelligence unit identified Lato for the first time as the underboss of the crime family. Hey, congrats. That is absolutely astounding. In the affidavit, Detective Lynch wrote that proceeds from the cannabis company Organic Bees were likely paid up to high-ranking New England mobsters. The law made it a point to say if you have a criminal record to keep those people away from the business for the same reason we just talked about. There's so much money to be made. Text messages show Conti used his position as a top statehouse staffer to keep his marijuana business associates in the loop. In one text from January 2018, Conti pledged to monitor marijuana policy writing they will never allow 12 more compassion centers. They may add a few. I am keeping close tabs on it. Six months later, Conti informed the group details about the final state budget hours before it was made public under then-House Speaker Nicholas Mattiello, writing, FYI, so far, no new compassion centers. All they want is three total. They left the plant limits untouched from last year. Good thing. can't be happening. That shouldn't be happening. And the consequences for that... Uh, need to be uh, as as significant and severe as possible because uh, with this new huge potential industry in the state, we can't have self-dealing. Despite the mountain of evidence from the state police and DBR, a lawyer for Conti said in an email, Mr. Conti had no role in the business organization Organic Bees. Mr. Conti has been employed by the House of Representatives honorably serving under four speakers. Again, just hours ago, Conti resigned from his state house job. In February, the state shut down the marijuana operation in the wake of their investigation. Jenkins pleaded no contest to perjury and misdemeanor charges of conspiracy and filing false documents. With the Target 12 investigators, Tim White, 12 News. Folks, such a good story. And I mean that in a good way with Channel 12. I find it, I do find it comical, entertaining. I don't, I know a number of the different players involved here i also want to emphasize you know i think this goes even deeper because this stuff was going on when maddie yellow was speaker this was not going on when joe sakachi was speaker i also want to remind people sakachi's law office was burned now i said that was may of last year 
I got a tip, and I said I had heard it was related to some of this back and forth with some of these groups that were trying to get involved with the cannabis grow. And they felt that the state were dragging their feet and that maybe things were not going to go the way they wanted. <clears throat> but um, Joe Sakachi had his office burned down, Speaker Sakachi, and then not only that, but he had a car. A car uh, was set on fire in his garage where he keeps his his garage. It wasn't his car, but it was just, it's so odd. So the whole thing, um, but again, and, and you have to read, there's some other parts of the story and other people mentioned that that are involved. I, I don't know uh, John Conte. I know a lot of people like him, it, it, but I, something else, there's a couple of things about this story, folks. Number one, notice he, he was, he they let him resign. He wasn't fired. So that was number one. Initially, Speaker Sakachi issued a statement that he, it seemed like he was showing support for Mr. Conti. Now, maybe some some things came out. But I also want to once again point out that, you know, that's one guy, and most people don't know who he is. Now, I'm not saying the job's not demanding, but then he also, uh, he's a maitre d' freelancer. I, I've heard for a long time, I had heard about, there's a state house person who also was the maitre d' at Camille's, right, up on the hill. So, but what also jumps out at me is, and it should jump out at you, is, so they say he's being paid 135000 a year, plus he's got the freelance job at Camille's that, uh, you know, and again, nights, weekends, what have you. But that 135000 I, I want to remind people, they're only in session <laughs> January through June. So that's really 135 for a, a job that's six months of the year. I mean, they don't have, I don't know what exactly they would be doing, but they don't have a lot of heavy duty lifting, never mind if he does operations. So some are off. I don't think there's a lot of late nights in the fall. So, you know, you start to look at some of the different salaries up there some of the roles that people have folks i'm telling you right now i mean they could cut staffing at that state house in ridiculous fashion i mean i and i'm not exaggerating i mean they could literally cut 30 percent of staff and it would not skip a beat see this is also i think this reflects poorly on governor mckee because the for the state how is the state going to shed this corruption image when you have this type of stuff still going on and and, and again, I know the McKee people were very defensive about this story and why is Channel 12 doing it? Because it's news. Come on. And again, I don't I don't know this. I mean, I know who he is. I don't know him personally. But having that type of meeting right in the parking lot outside the door at the State House, this was not taken at a restaurant. This wasn't out on someone's boat. It wasn't you know, a photo at a wedding or a wake or wherever, you know, on a farm or outside the state, Massachusetts or Connecticut. I mean, they're literally meeting right in the parking lot of the state house. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure uh, John Conti, who's the person that had to resign from that job. Good luck trying to find another job like that, by the way. Let me know. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see where he lands, where in this area you get a state that's you you get a job excuse me six months of the year that pays you 135,000 no nights no weekends and I know they say they work late into the night but it's not like that late into the night and and um again it's there's no heavy lifting in the summertime or in the fall so let's see see if he can find another a job like that they need to screen some of these people better and and also you know still also being able to maintain that job at at camille's which i'm sure also was pretty social but and again i i don't know this guy i'm not trying to pile on here as he just had to leave his gig but um i mean you you're, you're meeting at the state house you're giving information that no one else has it it cr crosses a boundary but you know governor mckee has not commented on the story which is wrong the last thing the state needs is another black guy where the state house is somehow intertwined with i know they say the underworld and organized crime it's not what it was um keep in mind you know our our government they changed the i, I don't want to get off on a tangent here they changed the laws just to take down 
organized crime. So it certainly is, is not the influence it was. You could certainly argue, look at, I don't know what kind of money they were trying to make, but the McKee-Ilo contract was $5 million. And initially, I think they wanted 9 to $10 million. So, I mean, huge amounts of money is thrown around, let alone a lot of the abuse and the money getting thrown around with all the COVID nonsense. So, but uh, it would be refreshing if you had a governor who could be in a situation who would comment when something like that happened, issue some kind of comment saying it can't be tolerated. We expect better, uh, you know, blah, 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 something like that. Nope, he doesn't want to say anything because then it draws attention. Ashley Kalis did issue a statement. What I found lacking was there was no call to action. She didn't demand more. She didn't want more of an investigation. She didn't feel that certain people should resign or should have to be forced to answer some questions. It also raises a lot of questions about what was going on under Speaker Mattiello. But it, um, I mean, there's an element of this. This is comical. But good repeat, good piece, good piece by Channel 12 did a lot of work on that. Folks, it's Friday. The debates are heating up. Uh, the races, everything is tightening as the finish line. Will Rhode Island be part of that red wave? We're going to find out. It's all ahead right here on this Friday on the John DePietro Show. This is the perfect time of year to have some paving done for your home, residential, commercial, seal coating, and patios. Make it letter J, J Perry Paving. They provide high quality, fair pricing, exceptional service. Call them today for a free estimate, 401-732-1730. The next couple of months, get your driveway prepared for wintertime. Call J Perry Paving today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. Licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting their clients' needs no matter how big or how small. Whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call J. Perry Paving today. Affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Remember, even asphalt can be recycled, reused. Call them for a free quote. Letter J, J. Perry Paving. Look for them on Facebook and call 401-732-1730. Remember, no one's better to veterans than J. Perry Paving. Call them today, 401-732-1730. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, free estimate, J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11, we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, petro.com it's time for our legal segment joining us right now is one of rhode island's top attorneys he's our legal expert it is attorney tim dodd tim we might as well start with all things trump uh just because it seems to be it is a uh, non-stop pitter-patter of uh different legal developments why don't we start off with uh, the big breaking news which came down the judge ordering mark meadows uh president trump's former chief of staff to testify this atlanta criminal investigation into election meddling. We know Rudy Giuliani is uh, mixed up in this. Uh, without knowing a lot of the details, we would, we would, uh, you know, attorney, well, I don't know about attorney-client privilege, but just uh, some kind of privilege that the president and his chief of staff may have. What, what do we make of this development? It, it, it's hard to know exactly what to make. I mean, we can assume this is all regarding the um, investigation into um, the Trump administration's alleged attempts to um, improperly influence um, vote totals or after the election activities taken by uh, people in the Trump orbit to um, overturn the election in um, Georgia. And you're right, John, Rudy Giuliani has already been uh, subpoenaed. Mark Meadows, um, at the time of the election and between the election and when um, the next president was sworn in, Mark Meadows was chief of staff. So he would have been in contact with Donald Trump, certainly on a daily, if not hourly basis, Um, apparently was very much involved in all of the Um, activities and maneuvers after um, election day 2016 to see what could be done, if anything, to overturn the election, to to determine, not so much to overturn the election, but to determine if there was um, 
improper vote totals, whether there was fraud in certain of the states. Uh, certainly, we know that um, there was an investigation into whether the electronic voting systems were faulty or manipulated or whether ballot boxes were stuffed or whether, you know, poll workers had uh, suitcases of ballots under desks. There was lots to look at. Now, it never got to a critical mass of saying there's the uh, smoking gun. Uh, this election has to be reconsidered. Um, were improper steps taken? That's the real issue. Now, Mark Meadows has had a very interesting um, objection in resisting the subpoena issued by this special grand jury, so-called. So this special grand jury is advisory only. It cannot, to what I understand under Georgia law, it cannot issue a true bill, which would start, you know, the process of a criminal proceeding. So Mark Meadows has said, if this is a special grand jury that can't really issue a true bill and it's only advisory, um, then do they have the power to compel the appearance of witnesses? This is not like a normal grand jury. It's a quote unquote special grand jury. The judge in Georgia ultimately said no and said the subpoena um, is valid and you are compelled to appear. Now, Mark Meadows will certainly appeal this judge's ruling. So he won't be testifying in front of this grand jury in all likelihood anytime soon while he pursues his appellate remedies. It is a unique argument. Um, what kind of a grand jury is this? What's its purpose? What's it advising? What, what's it doing if it's not a normal grand jury? Um, I think that's an issue that an appellate reviewing court will certainly have to take up. So this will get this whole issue pushed back after the midterms. Um, certainly right now, if you're in the anti-Trump orbit, you'd like seeing all these Trump stories coming out, certainly in this two-week period before the election, because right. it's all negative for any of the Trump acolytes that are out there. Sure. Now, Tim Dodd, also, <clears throat> I think the, uh, the other story right now is um, <clears throat> this aide, uh, Walt Nadeau, I believe is his name. He had, uh, Nauta, excuse me, Trump aide, and he worked at the White House, former military guy, kind of like an all-hands type of aide. He was a cook and so forth. But uh, the investigation apparently involves him and potentially moving up some boxes. And what I find interesting about the account of what they believed happened was, and, and Tim Dodd, you tell me, but this sounds like classic you know, DOJ, FBI, where they're asking him his actions, and they don't reveal that they actually have video of of the whole incident. So it, it's interesting how they, they go it a couple times, for, apparently, and this no one's denied this reporting, but that somehow he he then maybe want to go back and and uh, and refresh his, his recollection of events. Tim Dodd, this is where it seems people could potentially get into trouble. And it also seems to be, I think the story maps out that this also becomes, you know, do they offer immunity for someone like this? Do they you know, where do you go where you feel you have someone that might have some information? You want the truth out of them. However, you don't want to push too hard. But just I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Walt uh, Norda, I believe. Yes, I believe, as you're right, John, he was a career Navy guy. Then he got assigned to the White House as a cook of some sort and ultimately wound up being, I believe, um, one of... President Trump's closest, you know, most trust, not closest, but trusted um, individuals. Um, he went to work for uh, President Trump after he left office at Mar-a-Lago as his quote unquote valet. So that's like, I guess, a personal servant, errand boy, not to diminish the title, but, you know, go for it, do whatever the president wants him to do. I need this done, go do it. I want that done, go do it. Right. Um, and I think the president, rightly or certainly wrongly, assumes that everything going on at Mar-a-Lago, everyone's, you know, 
going to keep their mouth shut and look the other way and, you know, not divulge any of the dirty laundry going on at Mar-a-Lago. Clearly that didn't happen. Clearly there were informants inside his residence who were telling the DOJ what was going on with the boxes and the information and what was going on. This gentleman, the valet, there's competing stories. There's certain anonymous, and it's always anonymous, anonymous reports coming out that President Trump told the valet to move the boxes. Other reports are saying, well, it's not quite so uh, linear that the president told this guy to move the boxes. And if he did move the boxes, who told him? What was thought to be in the boxes? Was it known by whoever told him to move the boxes that these are the documents that we haven't handed over, which are classified, and we've got to hide them, and we got to we have to fake out the uh, DOJ and um, play like a shell game with them, hiding documents within the residence. So, either this guy did it at uh, President Trump's direction, or you know. President Trump might have said to one of his other advisors, it would be great if those boxes moved, you know, and suddenly his words bring about action. Yeah. Um, and it depends how specific it was. Did the president say, you know, boxes one through five, those are those classified documents that have to get moved. All of that becomes relevant. Who gave the order? When they gave the order, what did they know about what they were ordering? Did they know there were classified materials? Um, certainly, they're going to try to get the valet, the DOJ is going to get the, try to get the valet to flip, either to say, the president told me to do this, and I knew that this stuff was all of the classified material, and I knew it was, I was hiding it, and I knew it was against what was going on with the DOJ, um, and I did it anyways because Trump told me to do it. I mean... It, is it that or is it something different? I mean, the media is ready to jump on the story saying that Trump told this guy to move all the um, classified materials. I don't know that's true. Right, right. And, and Tim Dodd, what about, though, when they're dealing with him? I mean, this isn't really who they want. This guy, clearly, he's not nothing against him, but he's, you know, clearly just following orders here. So I can't imagine that that's the, the end game. But um do they do they pursue immunity or do they keep asking him questions and then maybe he does get himself jammed up? Well, I, I guess there's several questions. And again, the 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 drip, drip, drip of yeah. leaks that come out of the DOJ. Um, you know, we only know this stuff from, quote unquote, anonymous sources. Does the valet have a lawyer? Did he go in with a lawyer? Was right. he um, confronted by um, investigators? Before he got counsel, did he lie? Did he tell the truth? Um, we don't know any of those things. Was he shown the video or did they withhold the video, let him answer, and then try to catch him in a perjury trap? And now say, we got you for perjury, yeah. so either you're going to flip or we're going to prosecute you. I mean, it's, it's, it's the classic, you know, prosecutorial um, MO to try to get the smaller fish to give up the bigger fish. Right. Um, one wonders how loyal anyone will be to President Trump if they're looking at being, you know, criminally indicted and potentially doing jail time. Will yeah. they stand tall or will they flip? You don't mm. know. And do they have anything worth flipping about? I mean, this valet might be totally in the dark. He's right. just moving boxes. He doesn't know what's in the boxes. Yeah. Tim Dodd, finally on this, if they are just, and again, I know we're speculating, but in a scenario like that, if someone is either, do they stop and interrupt and say, now, come on, you, you're saying you don't remember whether or not you, you moved the, do they, if they have the tape, do they do a stop and start or do they just let the person tell their version of events? There's different techniques by different investigators. Okay. Some, some sure. might say, you know, cut the BS. We yeah. know what happened here. Come clean right now, or mm. we've already got you for perjury. Right. You know, you're lying to us and um, we will pursue all available remedies. Um, some will just let them talk and they'll keep track of all the lies and then they'll come hit them after the fact with, with uh, criminal charges. 
Um, would he get an immunity deal? Um, I don't think that would come along until they had some um, understanding of what he had to offer. Sure. It may not be enough. I mean, that's the trick. The DOJ drops all these little um, leaks and the media eats it right up and dutifully yeah. reports it. But we don't really know what the facts are. So yeah. this anonymous stuff comes out. Reporters and media figures start speculating. And that speculation, you know, if it's if restated enough time, becomes what people think is reality. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Legal expert attorney Tim Dodd right here on the John DePietro Show. The Coesed Inn. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. We're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. Joining us right now, he is a columnist of the Boston Globe. It is Dan McGowan. And uh, Dan McGowan, it is covered in the Globe. I do want to talk Rhode Island, but I'm just curious. Um, did you happen to catch any of the Dr. Oz-Fetterman debate last night? Josh Fetterman debate out of for the Senate, the hotly contested Senate seat in Pennsylvania. I was at the the uh, Ashley Kalis rally in Pawtucket. I was listening to it on the the way home, and then I watched it. And I, I'm just curious if Dan McGowan got a chance to catch any of that. Yeah, well, I think uh, you you just hit on something that's really important. The walk, it, the uh, watching it versus listening to it, I think is uh, particularly disturbing in some ways. Uh, and, and when you watch it, you were really, I mean, I watched, you were very uncomfortable. I think. Um, watching that sort of performance and uh, poor Fetterman, quite frankly. And I think all the reaction so far is that Dr. Oz is in a, a much better place um, after this debate, right? I mean, and, and, you know, you feel bad. Look, health is, is a real thing. But, you know, in in any other, I mean, in, maybe not any other election, but in most years, if you were to go back and say this, I mean, you'd be having conversations about, the Democrat needs to drop out and look, it's just a loss and, and you, know, you come back, fight, you know, fight this in six years. And there's just the pressure on the Democrats to keep Fetterman in this race, despite clearly not being, um, not being able to do, you know, I think an essential part of, um, you know, of campaigning, right. Which is debating, uh, uh, you, you know, I, I thought that I thought it was a huge challenge. I, I can't remember if I read it in the Globe or if it was in one of the other kind of takeaways on it, but I thought it was really well summed up. It might have been Politico that said, um, you know, the average, the median voter in Pennsylvania is, you know, white. I think in their somewhere in their 40s or 50s. They're non-college educated. They're they're not the kind of people who you know are going to be on watching MSNBC or, or on Twitter, you know, and saying like, oh, this is how, you know, stroke uh, victims, you know, recover. It doesn't mean anything. It's just about his recovery. The average voter sees this and says, that was a horrible performance. Yeah. And, I mean, and it I, was think, un- I, think, I think I think it's a big swing. It is. It was uncomfortable to watch. Now, uh, Dan McGowan, uh, First Lady Jill Biden is in Rhode Island today. Now, is Dan McGowan riding with the, uh, the press pool for... The first lady the way you, you know in the past i did this for kamala harris yes great time by the way it was interesting i would have loved to do it if it was a republican god if it was melania it would have been even more fun um and not uh in doing this but my colleague ed fitzpatrick is, is going to be covering it uh and you know i know jill biden's gonna be everywhere today she's gonna be at rick and then i think there's an event at the uh, the graduate or the biltmore whatever it is now um but uh it's it, it, i'm interested in your thoughts on it too because you know, it, 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 it is not uncommon for a president or the president's wife or, you know, the, the, the VP to come campaign in Rhode Island. We've seen this in the past, but it does show you, I, I, I don't know, I, I feel like it's different this time. I feel like there's a, there's a little bit of a sense of people are worried here. You're worried about the, if you're a Democrat, you're worried about where Magaziner stands. Um, I think you're less worried about Dan McKee, but you are, you're kind of looking at this and watching, 
and just kind of hoping he can run the clock out on Ashley Kalis in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I, I think, that, I mean, the, number one, it'll, you know, raise a little money. It'll, it'll almost yep. be like a, a news, I was trying to explain to people, it's like a news blackout on on both races because it's going to be tough to try to get attention today because yes. she's in town. But I, I don't think it, I don't think it sway. It doesn't sway anybody. You know that I, maybe the fact that one in four voters of Fung is a Democrat that I, I don't think that helps the race. Um, no, you if very... you get if you get Barack Obama here, you know who is still widely popular in Rhode Island and is a charismatic kind of dynamic figure. That's a boost. Like I, I'm yeah. not, in, I'm not quite sure that Jill Biden is. I think you're right that that, that you, well, you hit it on the head out there this what what actually plays here what actually matters is that it it stunts the you know the um the progress of more so ashley kalis than alan fung because alan fung isn't doing really anything to try to make news in his race like he's running his own campaign he doesn't really need to you know get on people's radar he's got almost universal name recognition all of that but if you're ashley kalis who's had this pretty good streak going for yourself of you know, I'm always getting, uh, I'm always getting in the news. I'm getting lots of attention. Now you've got a stretch where, you know, yesterday was all about Jill Biden is coming to town. Today it's all about Jill Biden is in town. Tomorrow, who knows? You know, the, the, it's it's all about Jill Biden was here yesterday. Uh, and so, you know, you do lose a couple of days of the news cycle. And Ashley Kalis still desperately needs to introduce herself to voters. Dave McGowan, what do you make of uh, the McKee people trying to say, well, you know, look at the parallels between him and I heard this and the president. You know, they're both married teachers. They're both old events. I, I don't know if, if Biden is the one right now, the president, that you want parallels between. And you can't ignore the polls, the way people are very concerned about inflation. The Democrats now are pivoting off these other issues and coming back to the economy. So as much as they try to spin it, I, I think there's a level of tone deafness here that they are believing their own hype. I, I, you are not talking, this is not something that people are concerned about. And I know she's the most popular person right now between the president and the vice president. It's the first lady, but I, this, this is not what people are talking about. Well, and go back to this. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't mean to hold the Obamas up as the saviors here, but just look at approval ratings, right? And Michelle Obama might be the actual most popular Democrat in America right. at this point. So, you know, it is, if it were the Obamas, any one of them, I don't care if it was the kids, you know, people might get a little, you, you get at least Democratic excitement here. I'm not sure that people are all that enthusiastic. And it has to do in some ways with the top of the ticket. Look, you know, Governor McKee, um, he, would, he wouldn't claim to be the, you know, the greatest orator in the world. And he hasn't run a particularly enthusiastic campaign. He didn't run an enthusiastic primary campaign. And so, you know, then you've got Jill Biden to come here and, and you know, you, you hope that maybe she can energize people. But I don't know. I mean, you're not energizing the base of Democratic voters around Dan McKee. You're just, it's just not going to happen. Dan, no. McKee is, Dan McKee may win this race. In fact, I would probably put it, if, if you had to make me bet, I'm sure I would say, yeah, pro- Dan McKee probably holds on, wins the governor's race. But it's not because he's this, you know, dynamic figure. It's because he's holding on. Yeah, and you could even just, uh, as the Globe has had folks, and again, it's Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe, as the Globe has had great coverage of the Massachusetts race. I mean, if you believe the polls, Maura Healy's, you know, she's at 56 to 36. McKee's... Right. You know, um, Dean McGowan, I'm curious your thought. I did see your colleague Brian Amaral last night. I, I have to admit that there were way more people there last night in Pawtucket than I thought were going to be there. I'll say this about the Kalis campaign. I mean, talk about putting all effort in. And Dick, both Dick Fossa and Maddie Smith, granted, you know, they're older, but North Providence, North Providence is key for a Republican to win if, in fact, you know, you want to have a strong showing. And but just between the element of getting that number of people together, and it was a rotten night. Twice I almost turned around Miserable, like, oh, the hell right. with this. I'm driving a rainy garage in Pawtucket. But um, just curious your thoughts on this Democrats for for uh, Ashley event they had last night. 
I mean, she's doing exactly what I would do if I was running against Democrats, right? I'd try to get, you know, uh, some dissidents on board. You know, she would have much rather, and you and I talked about this over the summer, and you, you and I know this very well. You know, there was a moment where, uh, you know, Joe Palacina, the mayor of Johnston, was kind of looking for a new person, right? Yeah. flirted with everybody. I believe he even did have conversations with Ashley Kalis. And, you know, if you really want the big home run, you would have wanted a Palacina or a Lombardi. But you hit it on the head. You got in North, you know, North Province, a place that you need to do well. Uh, traditionally, if, if a Republican wins, it's because they're going to win places like that. Um, and you know what? I, I give Ashley Kalis a ton of credit. She, you, you're right. She is running uh, an energetic, kind of spirited campaign. Uh, talk about, you know, nobody thought I could do this. I mean, literally nobody knew who you were eight months ago, six months ago. And now you're, you know, you're probably inside of 10 points. Uh, so you've done enough. You've shown that you're a serious person. Also, I think she's, she's uh, beat back against uh, some of the narrative that maybe she was completely, like, woefully unqualified. Uh, I, I think she's perfectly qualified to be the governor. And again, I don't know that she's going to win. But she, she certainly has proved herself and she's doing all the things that the insurgent campaign, um, you know, always needs to do. I, I go back you know, I, I, I don't mean to hold up God, the Obamas and the Ramundos as like the key to all, to all things. But, you know, think about how Gina Ramundo really made her mark in Rhode Island. It wasn't by having progressive Democrats on board. It was by having conservative kind of business people. Who yep. really liked her, and who, 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 you know, she gave them confidence that that she could run the place, and then you know they put the money and they they put energy behind her. I think Ashley Kalis is trying to make the same case that you know what, like I, I'm going to do everything I can to show you that I can do this job, and I'm going to you know I'm going to throw things against the wall. Sometimes they're not going to stick. I loved the, the strategy last week of have an event every day. All the reporters, myself included. All we do is complain about how we never get invited to events anymore. All, all, That's the, right. all the politicians are forgetting about how important we are. Ashley Kalis has an event every single day. Uh, and, 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 you know, she's, she's doing a good job getting, getting out there. She's going to make this race much closer than anybody thought it would have been. Dan McGowan, as far as CD2, uh, I, it, it's interesting. Number one, the amount of money that's been spent. I like the fact you write, wrote. Boy, this problem with Channel 12 and Nexstar, I mean, I don't have it because I have YouTube TV, but it's it's affecting. uh, I I know people that didn't see the debate because of it. But but what do you what does Dan McGowan make of the fact that this point in the race, less than two weeks to go and Seth magazine is now trying to pivot into different areas, different. You know, he seems like he's coming off the uh, the abortion issue and he's trying to go into the economy. Well, it seems to me like they're, you know, it's breaking news by any means, but, you know, talk about a campaign that is over-reliant uh, on consultants and sort yes. of what the, Dem- what the Democratic Party wants to do. You know, Democrats nationally, it would appear, uh, have kind of misplayed their hand in some ways, where in, in July and in August, they felt like they had lots of momentum all around Roe, right, all around the decision. There was lots of energy. And they, it's like they forgot that the election is in November. And now you've got a situation where uh, I think there, every poll shows that, that the economy, you know, uh, even crime starting to sneak up again is kind of a top issue all over the place. Both campaigns are seeing it. That's why Republicans have been running this way forever. Uh, and I think you're right. I think you're starting to see a little bit of the, um, that switch. I'm just not sure it's, it's enough this late in the, in the campaign. I still think that race is razor thin. I think it could go either way. You, know, you can't count out a Democrat in Rhode Island. It's, it, you know, I think that would be foolish. But the thing about Alan Fung that he's done really well is Alan Fung could say, hey, Seth, welcome to the party. I've been talking about these issues the entire campaign. And, you know, you could go on and say, I've been doing this for, for a decade in Cranston. Uh, so uh, it does appear that he's, he's making, you know, a little bit of a, a pivot. I think his most recent commercial, uh, Seth Magaziner's most recent commercial is probably his best one yet. It's smart, it's, you know, uh, it kind of comes across as, a little bit more energy than we normally see from Seth Magaziner. But 
you know, every time he does something well, Alan Fung's out with another kind of charming, corny ad that that is, like you said in the debate, exactly who he is. I mean, Alan yes. Fung is so comfortable in his own skin, uh, whereas you never feel that way on the Democratic side. Dan McGowan, you wrote a piece about Bill Gilbert. What, do you, what, was, your, what was your thought on what Charlie Bax, the former uh, columnist for the Providence Journal and Charles, his reaction to it? Well, it's so funny, you you know, you, you hear from all throughout the Democratic primary, all I did is hear how poor Luis Munoz isn't getting any attention. And then now that, you know, this could put the Democrat at risk, everybody suddenly is, you know, outraged that there are third party candidates, uh, you know, that, that, that get any attention at all. You know, I'll tell you the reason I wrote that, my gut feeling, I hadn't looked quite deeply at the crosstabs. My gut feeling on it was I, I, I just kind of assumed that the moderate candidate, so-called moderate candidate, is going to take away a little bit from Allen. And I thought this maybe lowers the win number for Seth Magaziner in some ways. Maybe, you know, again, if he's, he's pulling at 5% in our poll, uh, you know, if it's a 48-47-5 race, uh, that's a potential win for Seth Magaziner. That, that, that's probably what he needs to happen. But if you look at the polling, both our poll and the Channel 12 poll, um, he actually takes away from Democrats, uh, you know, a fairly significant amount. My gut tells me that it'll lower uh, and he'll, he'll end up in that 3 or 4% range. But even that, in a race that could be this tight, and you're going to have a situation, I, I put this in the column, you're going to have a situation where this will be the first time we, Rhode Island has elected somebody to Congress, whether it's the Senate or the House, since 1967 with less than 50% of the vote. Wow. Uh, so, so that's a rare time. Um, I understand it. If I'm both campaigns, by the way, I'm, I don't yeah, of this wild card who just, you know, just having a name on the ballot is a uh, factor. It's not the same way as, you know, a Bob Keeley or somebody who had na- even Chris Young, who had name recognition from years of, you know, calling into your show and things like that. Um, it's not quite the same, but every percent, every vote could count in this race if it's as close as we think it might be. Folks, each day I start with, uh, you get it in your inbox, your email. It's called Roadmap. It comes from Dan McGowan. You get full links. He's always breaking news in it. You get kind of like, here's what's happening today, and here's what you want to read in the Globe. And Dan McGowan, right now, if you'd be so kind to extend that offer to anyone who's listening. Of course. And every week I do this, every week my inbox fills up with listeners of, of your show who listen to this. Uh, it's very simple. The easiest thing in the world. It's free. comes into your inbox every single morning. And all you have to do is send me a blank email. You don't have to write anything in the subject line. I'll know what it is. RINews at globe.com. RINews at globe.com. I'll sign you up. You'll start getting it first thing tomorrow morning. Folks, he's Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. Dan, great job as always. We'll talk to you again. Talk soon, John. Thank you. To the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, depetro.com. Folks, visit the website. On the website, you'll see all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, Instagram, even TikTok. Plus, you if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique, original stories, videos, content. Log on right at the website, depetro.com.